Welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder, the Equal Opportunity True Crime Comedy Podcast. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. Oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Yeah, man, I'm the mailman. Can't you tell, man? Gonna post What up? Fran, we are just a short hour away from uh, the kickoff of the AFC Championship game. Lamar Jackson is facing off against one Patty Mahomes. We discussed it last week to um, uh, an uproar from several listeners, several emails, several DMs. I discussed it already. I won't get into it again. You guys know my feelings on it if you listen to the mini-sode. Hey, man, it is what it is. We are uh, coming to you having not knowing the outcome of the game. And we will just assume that the Ravens won and we are celebrating as a city uh, a, a trip to the Super Bowl. And let's hope that that is what it is, because if it's not, that's embarrassing to talk confidently. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, Fran, uh, we don't need to talk about football anymore. This isn't a football podcast. I will say I hope Taylor Swift had a good time in the city and I hope that she was not accosted by any squeegee boys. Well, how are you feeling, Fran? I mean, you know, as a, as a mailman, you see the people, you touch the people. How, how's the electricity of the city been growing in the uh, leading up to this game? Oh, it's been very exciting. And first of all, don't tell me if I want to come over and talk about the Super Bowl. I'll of course, football. I will talk about it. Of course, yes, yeah, it's your but, platform. Uh, uh, yeah. Other than that, um, the excitement around the city is crazy. Um, this is everybody should know. This is obvious that this is tax time, and <laughs> yeah, people yes. think there is a that it's a. I get the running joke where it's like, mailman has a W two. Oh, where's my check? Where's my? I get it. But oh, like, where's my W two? Sorry, where's my W 2s But it's like you and I come on and said this before, but I don't think people realize that when you tell a joke to the mailman, we've heard this <laughs> fifty times, and, and maybe a day before we ran into you and you said it. So it's not it's not funny to us. It's like it's annoying, and it's just like now we got a fake laugh or bullshit, yeah, a joke that we've already heard fifteen times before mm-hmm. we got to you. <laughs> so it's like I've been hearing this all day. The house next all day. Door- the house next yeah. door to you just did it. Yeah. So yeah, yesterday, for an example, I'm at work. I get up to, you know, the mailboxes, and there's somebody else sitting in their car, and then, like, I'm there. But I can hear that somebody's in the car, right? The window rolls down. And you can kind of, you can hear people mumble just certain shit where I go, like, oh, they're about to say something. <laughs> this is a skill that I've, you know, I've gained over uh-huh. time being in the post office was like, I know when somebody's about to say something because they said something before to somebody else, to themselves before they said it to me. Yeah. So I go, I go, okay, I this person. I, know, I already know what this person, I could have bet, if I had a million dollars, I'd have bet a million dollars on this before this person even said anything because I knew it was coming. Right. I knew it was coming from a mile away. So I'm there and I hear this mom, I go like, oh, they about to say it. Hey, man, man, you got my W-2s? I go, no, I don't. Anyway, I'm back to my, I have at this point is I'm at the end of my route, so I'm like I no, have I I, the energy or me trying to be funny with you is not there anymore. The day's over. 
the day is almost the day is almost over. So I don't want to be jokey jokey with you. Like, <laughs> oh, no, I don't have it. And they like, I'm like, I just maybe next week. No. Yeah, I just yeah, I'm just like, no, no I don't. <laughs> and then, and they, I don't know. I guess they felt some type of way because like they just kind of like you shot the joke. It was like they was like, yeah, you do. And I was like, okay, I was like, okay. And then they kind of went on about their business. And that was the end of that. But like. At the, maybe in the, you called me early before lunch or something like that. I, I would have play, played with you. I would have played with you. But mm-hmm. at that time, I was like, ah, I know what's coming. I don't want to hear. I'm tired of hearing it. No, I don't have it. And I don't even think you live over here. This was just you saw me and just wanted to get that joke out so bad because you thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and it's not. Yeah, listen, man. You catch me on the right at the right day, that's the right time of day. I'll play with you. I'll do all. We'll do all the jokes and back and forth and everything like that. At the end of the day, as somebody who's named Alvin. The idea of it being nine o'clock at night, I'm tired. I'm just wanted to go into a store and get something to eat real quick. I'm wearing flip flops and like my pajamas and they need my name for the order and they go, Alan, <laughs> where's Simon and Theodore? The way I would like what the way in my mind I like pull a gun out and, and tell you like like Samuel Jackson and Pulp Fiction, like you don't even understand what's happening in my mind. I don't have the energy to be like, oh, I left him at home. Oh, blick, oh, blick, oh, blick. I don't have it in me. It's not. It's not gonna be that today. You know. I've Do you done still it get enough. that today though? Do you still? Do get I it? still get it today? Oh my god! It's like, and everybody is so confident often, that they're though, the. How often do you? How often do you get that joke? When the last time you got that joke? <laughs> like three days ago. <laughs> like at least at least three times a week I get that, especially depending on how how active I am going out to places, but also people at my job that know me. This. That's their thing. Like, where's Simon and Theodore? <laughs> do you get that a lot? You said that because you know you you know I do. <laughs> you can't think that you're the first person to, you know. But sometimes people say that. Like, they anybody, do, though. anybody ever? Anybody ever? Anybody ever say that to you? It's like, do you people not? Re- I feel like I can be able to identify a fake joke, a fake laugh. I think I, I I'm, can, pretty, maybe, I'm pretty. Good maybe at, not, I'm maybe pretty not. good. Maybe not. I'm pretty good maybe at not. fake laughing. I think I'm a top tier fake laugher. I think I'm pretty good too. But I think, but I feel like people really think they're that funny so they can't See, really <laughs> tell the thing about you is you're a good you're a good fake laugher but you're even you're an even worse not laugher <laughs> where it's like it really can like suck the energy out <laughs> we were at crime con a couple years ago and there was a dude he thought he was telling a hell of a story and fran just he had sunglasses on and just kind of stood there and i don't think he was you weren't listening definitely you weren't really even there yeah, but right. I'm sitting there, and in contrast to me being like, ah, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, it's hilarious. And you giving nothing, yeah. it really throws off the conversation of the person where they're like, I'm, I'm crushing it over here. Yeah, but it wasn't funny But this guy over here is like, and you're like, I'm not even here. Like, I'm not even, yeah, I'm I, don't, not even, I don't even know what you said. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> no idea. I don't know how you set it up, set it up anything. Yeah. I've known, I know you, and sometimes I can't tell. So, so most times I can tell, like, oh, he's just, he's entertaining this person, whatever they're talking about. But sometimes I go like, oh man, he's really. He's really and then I'll ask you, I go like, do you know what they? No, I go, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't know. I've never seen that man a day in my life. <laughs> God bless that man, you know. I, I, good luck to him, you know. But I've never seen. I think, that man I think a, day a fake life. laugh. I think you that tool. I think it's, I think it's key. I think it helps you. It definitely helps me get through the day at work. But I really think it's key. Well, see, and I'm gonna start to reveal my, I'm gonna start to reveal my sociopathicness. But there's something I enjoy. Making somebody's day, yeah. So it's something about when somebody's they're not being funny to me, but it's almost like I'm using their lack of funniness, and it's like judo. Like I'm now using their not funniness to make me to entertain me. 
Yeah. Because now I'm trying to keep them going, tell more of the story. Mm-hmm. And now that yeah. that becomes the fun and the laughing to me is that I'm like, please keep telling this unfunny story. <laughs> I want to see how excited you can get to be telling me absolutely nothing. Yeah. This story is giving absolutely nothing. It's not giving <laughs> drama, pace, excitement, but I'm I'm being like, no way. And then what? He's like, so then we went and got mashed potatoes, but then they didn't put pepper in the mashed potatoes. I'm like, get out of here. So you just left, right? No. I went to another barbecue restaurant just a couple blocks away, and they had the best pork chop in the city. I'm like, the best pork chop? Now, I don't know. I didn't have many of pork chops. You telling yeah. me they said it's the best? Yeah. Yeah, listen. No, I'm That's telling you. I swear psychotic. to God, listen. That is so I'm- like I can't do that, man. I go. <laughs> For me, it would be, oh, then he got mashed potatoes and chicken. I go like, oh, this is this is. Cool. I don't know what, <laughs> what we're talking about. What? What? Oh, that's crazy. And, I, and this <laughs> this is the bullshit. I don't want this story to go on because I don't know I don't know where this is going. This doesn't sound exciting at all. <laughs> I'm not. For me, I go like I'm not entertaining this because I no longer want to hear the rest of what you're talking about. For you, you you really pumping them up. It's like they're like, oh, I'm telling the best story ever because this dude <laughs> is really locked into what I'm telling him. I don't have the heart to tell somebody like I don't care. Yeah. Shout out to if you were less friend of the, yeah friend of, <laughs> friend of the podcast and this is one last thing before we get to the topic we want to talk about then we will get to the fucked up shit but I saw my friend Les Green we were at a bar one day and this guy was talking about Martin Luther King he was a white guy spoiler spoiler alert he was trying to tell us like about how black people how how protesting can be done in an effective way some goofy shit it was all around twenty twenty when every white person was like had a think piece on their heart that they needed to get off to black people and. It was, I'm just saying, like, I grew up with around Black Panthers and the energy, and I feel like we need more of that, like, that community. He was like, I don't care. Like, it, he let it go for, like, <laughs> like I've never seen somebody, like, it wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't mad about what he was saying. He was mad at that you were wasting his time, and yeah. you're, still, you're still talking to me. And he went, like, I, I don't care, and he just got up and left. <laughs> he just went to another part of the bar. I was like, I just didn't even know you could do that. I didn't know that was a choice that you could make in conversation. I'd be like. That's I'm done. I don't. I'm done having this conversation. Yeah, I, I can't do that. You know, I'm I'm the type of person that goes like, if if I don't want to play the game, I go like, yeah, man. Well, hey, good talking to you. Or like, yeah. man, hey, man, thank. Well, I'll have to think about this, man. That was, hey, man, good good points you made. And I'll go to try to turn, but then they might tap you again. Yeah. Because you just told them how much of a good conversation you had. Well, if you like that, hey, I, I, I just thought of something else. Yeah. Less is like, fuck that. You're not coming back to me. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> Stop talking to me. I don't want to do this and do this anymore. It's over. And I'm like, wow, that's effective. I can't, that I can't do because, like, now if we're going to be in the same area together, I'm going to keep it's seeing awkward. you and it's, it's awkward. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's awkward. <laughs> but less is like, it's awkward for like five seconds and then it's done. So his way is the more effective way. Yeah. It might be five seconds of awkwardness, but that guy's not going to talk to you anymore. Not at all. My way of like, all right, man, well, I'm going to get another drink. I go get the drink and go sit somewhere else. He might get up and come walk over He'll to come over. Absolutely. So. He does the more effective tactic. Now, friend, I have one thing I wanted to talk about this week. Conservative media has uh, started this conversation that I find incredibly racist. And also just, I understand the news cycle is the news cycle. And, you know, we're gearing up for the election. And people want to rile their bases up and have these interesting conversations based slightly around race and wokeness. And I hate how, I hate what conservative media did to the word woke because when Erica Badu was saying it and comment it was this fun like hey man just kind of open your eyes up and see what's going on in the world and now woke just means you are allergic to peanuts like anything that's like socially new is woke and that's not what it is so we we as black people have to come up with a new word uh to replace woke and then try to well, now it also my- sounds like insult as well too like 
it is. It is it's, it's, only der- it's only derogatory now. Yeah, and yeah. that's not what it, it, it used to mean something beautiful. And then conservative middle-aged white people took it and bastardized it and now it's this awful thing and black people shouldn't be using it anymore because they've ruined it. And whenever we do replace it, we should try to keep it uh, under wraps for as long as possible. South Park had one of the best analogies ever. It wasn't even an analogy. It was this chef from South Park breaking it down. Like, I think, uh, <laughs> so chef, chef, uh, chef was like, they, they were using some kind of word. The kids were using some kind of word. And he's like, this is what y'all do all the time. See, black people came up with we in the house. Then white people start saying we in the house. So then we had to change it to we in his house. Then y'all started saying that yeah, too. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And then he's like, then we had to start saying flippity floppity flute. <laughs> all that. I say all that. I went on a tangent about wokeness and everything like that. Uh, this week, conservative media has had this discussion around pilots and how uh, this, I don't know, one of these guys, Charlie Kirk or Ed, Ed, Nick Fuentes, one of these fucking clowns that are grifters who steal money from people uh, with inflammatory political ideas and ideas is a stretch, uh, was like, um, I prefer to see a white male pilot when I get on a plane. I just feel safer if I'm in the sky and we hit a, a cloud, dark clouds and the turbulence is shaking the plane and I'm scared. In the back of my mind, I go, but hey, when I got on the plane, there was a white guy in the, in the cockpit with sunglasses on and he had a little salt and pepper beard. And I went, hey, he's going to get us through this. And I'm like, no, the fuck you don't. If I'm on a plane. There have been a rare instances where I've had severe turbulence in planes. I've flown a lot in my life, and I, probably maybe once or twice if I had real turbulence where I was scared. The last thing I'm thinking about is like, well, the, the pilot was a white guy, so I know he'll get us through this. I'm scared. <laughs> so the idea that I, if I got on the plane and I see a black guy or a woman, that I would, be, that I would question their qualifications is racist and sexist. There's no other way around that. I did some research. I looked up um, like how you become a pilot. Mm-hmm. They all do the same steps. You got to go and get these re- these requirements and go to these classes and learn how to do this, and then you got to get 1,500 hours of flight time with an with a airline before they start putting you on commercial flights. Everybody has to do the same thing. So the idea that inherently a black person or a woman can do the same thing as a white man and still it's just something about that white man that he has that they don't have is, like, racist and sexist. That's crazy to me. And it was so offensive to hear people just saying, like, I'm not racist or anything. It's just it's the way that it is. Like, it's just a fact. Like, I just feel more comfortable. As if the idea that, like, a white guy who's, like, 45 years old and has uh, aviator sunglasses on going, like, uh, we're going to take this thing up to about 5,000 feet. Uh, you can uh, use your devices at this time. And we got a little bit of turbulence coming up. So buckle your seats. And we're going to have you guys in Michigan in no time. It's like if they think if they think a black person is like, yo, what's up, niggas? Like, hey, man, the plane is uh, it's so shaking plain. and shit. Yeah, like they're, they're as professional as anybody else. Like that's yeah. so offensive. Or, or like a woman's going to be like, oh, my God, like the plane, I don't know where I'm going. You know, I can't drive because I'm a woman. Like I'll try my best. Like this idea that confidence and ability wouldn't be as strong in those people who have the same qualifications is like a, an incredibly offensive thing to say. And these people are saying it like, hey, guys, you know what it is, though. This is just the woke media. They want to have a black pilot just to say they have a black pilot. There's never been an idea was like, again, where you go, I feel more or less safe, whoever's flying the damn plane. I just, that never, ever went through my head. If it was a female, male, black or white, that never, I never had that idea was like, a black person is, a woman is flying the plane. I don't know if. I'm a little nervous now. I don't know. I might hold on to my seatbelt a little bit throughout this plane because I don't know. It's not. He's not. It's not white. It's not a white guy who looks cool in like a little, you know, the hat and shit, the outfit. 
that we usually see that's flying yeah. the plane. I just I never had that idea in my head at all. So that's weird to hear that for the first time. I've never heard that. Yeah, and it's like I don't mean to like get on the soapbox and be sad or whatever, but like the reality to me is in, in my lived experiences, there's so many things that we don't see black people doing because black people get painted with this brush of limitation where it's like, I don't think we can do that. And that's not the reality for a white man. There's not a job. A white man can be a doctor. He can be a lawyer. He can be a pilot. He can go to be a scuba diver. He can do whatever he wants to. There's nobody telling him like, well, black people don't really know how to swim. And black people don't really fly planes. That's scary. And hospitals are always trying to kill black people. So you grow up with all these limitations of like, well, I don't know if that's a safe space for me to even try to pursue a career in because that's not what we do. Then you go to these spaces for generations of conversations like that. And because of those conversations, every doctor's white. Every fucking pilot's white. Every scuba diver's white. And you just go, well, they're just white because I guess that's what white people do and we do administrative work. You All the white people are doctors and we do phlebotomy. Yeah, it's, it's still weird that in 2024, we still, you still hear terms, oh, this is the fir- first black person to do this. This is the first black person to do It's still weird that we still get those type of headlines on the yeah. news or whatever. And we're in 2024. It's, it's still crazy to me. Because people are just starting to break through glass ceilings. Yeah. These ceilings have existed for generations, bro, and it's just people are just because of conversations like this, people are starting to go, hey, you know something? I don't see a lot of black people go hiking. We should make a group of people and just go hiking. Like, why don't we go hiking? It's healthy. Nature's beautiful. What's keeping us from going into the woods besides like mythological fears that comedians and television have told us growing up that like, don't go out there because you'll get eaten by a tiger. It's like, well, there's no tigers that even live in the state. I still think that I think that black people do it. To, we do it to ourselves as well. Where we go like, oh, that's white people shit. I'm not. Yes, I'm we not, limit. We limit ourselves. Yeah. Because you know what? So we can't put everything on. Can't put everything on the white man. It's that's, also we limit ourselves as well. That's fair. But I feel like a lot of the limitations that black people put on ourselves come from in access historically. I get that. Yeah. So like because we weren't allowed to do something, you tell yourself that you don't want to do it to save yourself the embarrassment, the heartache or whatever. And I'm rambling and a lot of stuff I'm saying, like, I don't have like a statistics to, to, to back up a lot of the stuff that I'm saying. A lot of the stuff I'm saying. Yeah, is, man. Like, so you're already of, of a whole weight, man. So you. Yeah, it's based on emotion. You're going to have you need to have the numbers to back it up. That's true, right? Um, but what I will say is I think it's super cool that there are more black pilots or there's an initiative to try to make more black pilots and more female pilots. I think that that's awesome, and it doesn't scare me, and I don't think that white pilots are superior to anybody else. Like, if you've gone, if you've gone and taken the steps to become a pilot, then you're a qualified pilot, period. Yeah. You know, And so that those kind of conversations just bring up a lot in me because I don't like people being told that they – aren't uh qualified or right. don't have the intelligence to do yeah. something it's not genetic you don't just be born a good uh only white only white people are born good pilots that's that crazy like that, that that's a crazy thing sense. to tell an eight-year-old black kid yeah that's a crazy thing for an eight-year-old black kid to read an article without context like oh yeah people are terrified or not even or people hear that clip online a six-year-old kid hears that clip online without context and they go oh i mean yeah i guess i should i guess i should be scared if a woman's flying a plane and that's all they take from that clip it's just it's just a dangerous ideology, and I don't like shit like that. I don't, I don't think people should have limitations put on them. But anyway, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into some fucked up shit. I'm really excited about the story this week. So stick around, folks. Affirmative Murder is brought to you by My Life in a Book. With Mother's Day right around the corner, I just know you guys are thinking about a truly special gift for your mom. But let me tell you about a pretty priceless gift. MyLifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book that you could pass down from generation to generation, which I think is a pretty awesome memento to leave behind. Here's how it works. 
Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. Your mother or the mother can either type her response or record her voice. MyLifeInABook.com then compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It would be like preserving her voice and her stories for all of eternity. Your mom's giving you a lifetime of stories, and this is your chance to give her a way to share them. I'm in the middle of my MyLifeInABook.com journey, and I'm really excited to see how it turns out. I've been asking some pretty thought-provoking and funny questions, and... You know, I'm excited to see the response, but I'm also just excited to have the physical book in my hands and know that I can look back on it in 20, 30 years. The interface is super user friendly. The questions are super easy to set up. It's a breeze of a process. So what I need you to do is check out mylifeinabook.com. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code AMP. That's A-M as in Mother's Day. P at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for the mom in your life this Mother's Day. One more time. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code AMP for 10% off today. All right, and we are back. Fran, I'm as I said before break, I'm super excited to talk about the story this week. This is a very interesting true crime story, but just an interesting story all around. Uh, as I, I texted you a couple months ago, over the last couple months, I've been really getting into Peso Pluma. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love his music and his message, and he's really brave. And a lot of the ways, the stuff that he's talking about in his music is getting him in a lot of trouble back in Mexico. And his safety has been at jeopardy a lot of times because he's sp- uh, shedding a spotlight on some things that cartels and uh, things like that don't want a light shed on. Mm-hmm. And so this is the guy, uh, the one of the kind of guys who inspired a guy like Peso Pluma or other Mexican artists who do the kind of music that uh, you know uh, talks about the life and the the, the ways of Mexico, and uh, so this week we're doing the story of Chilino Sanchez. I think we had a conversation about this not too long ago uh, about a video that's very popular about him, which we'll get into. But yeah. Fran, um, how did you come across Chilino Sanchez? I've seen a video on on TikTok. I mean, I've seen it. I maybe seen this this seen this video maybe like a year ago, and mm-hmm. um, I, then I recently saw it. I was like, oh, let me look into it. And I kind of didn't find a whole bunch of hope too much information on it and then it's been popping up and then when you sent me i was like oh yeah i remember that i remember seeing this and um you sent me some more uh some more articles about it so that was good to, to learn a little bit more about it but i've seen this for a while i just never just the you hear the video the video you see the caption and then you go like oh this is this sounds crazy the story sounds crazy yeah. and terrifying i mean we'll get into it but i'm excited to, to, to hear the whole story yeah so uh chileno sanchez is heralded as the mexican tupac and when when I started doing research and I started listening to the songs with the English subtitles on it, I understood. Because um, if this comes across as offensive, I don't mean for it to be. But a lot of this, this is what happened. This is called, um, it's called corrido music. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the style of music. It's this Mexican style of music in the way that it's to, the way that it's um, it, ha- it all has a, st- a certain style to it. Mm-hmm. And this music, if we went to a Mexican heritage festival, I would just be there eating the food and enjoying my time. I wouldn't think anything about it, but. When you when you hear Chilino Sanchez's messages, he's talking about murder and drug smuggling and uh, violent crime and all these things. But it has this kind of I'm like, this is music to, you know, to eat some soap base to. I'm not I'm not thinking about it having some kind of powerful, uh, touching message to it. But 
it doesn't speak to my heart and my culture. So of course I don't hear it the way it's supposed to be heard. I feel like I hear it. Even yeah, if you, don't speak, if you don't speak Spanish, if you don't speak Spanish, you don't know what that's going. Like, I like this bop, you know. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. I, you know, I feel you know. It's like uh, it's it's like for a lot of older people, not even white or black, like older people when they hear a Kodak Black or something who is talking about real shit of being from Florida and growing up poor and all this stuff, and they just go like, "What's all this scabbity boobity?" And black people are some of the most racist people in the world when it comes to rap music. They're like <laughs> all this jibbity hibbity and boobity bobbity and skibbity bibbity. I'm like, he didn't say that. Yeah. I mean, I know you can find a song probably where you might be able to make that joke, but not this guy. Like this yeah. guy, if you listen to what he's saying, he's saying some real shit. He might be mumbling it a little sound, bit. But it just sounds foreign to them. They go like, "I, I just can't, can't hear it. I can't. It's, I can't interpret what the hell they're talking about. I just, it's not my frequency." Yeah. Well, and it and it just and it just don't and they just don't want to, and it and they just don't want to. Me on the other hand, it's not that I don't want to; it's just a language barrier, so I'm not really hearing it. But the vibe feels like a party to me. Yeah. But the lyrics are not that. It's almost like this is the things people say about future. People are like, people, everybody's dancing to future music. He's talking about being in pain of a drug addict, and his girlfriend left him, and he's not a good dad. And yeah. we just like, man, turn that shit up. <laughs> so is I think that yeah, uh, in in summation, Chilino Sanchez is the future of Mexico. So, um, anyway, let's get into it. So, Chilino Sanchez. So, Rosalino Chilino Sanchez, Felix, was born in uh, Sinaloa, Mexico, to Santo Sanchez and Sanorina Felix on August 30th, 1960. Rosalino, who uh, eventually would go by his nickname Chilino because he felt like Rosalino was a little too feminine of a name, was the youngest in the Sanchez family. He had aspirations of pursuing a music career from a very young age as well. In 1975, when he was just 15 years old, his sister was raped. Two years later, in 1977, a now 17-year-old Chilino saw the man that raped his sister at a party, and legend has it that he shot him as revenge for his sister, killing him. Damn. After which, Sanchez left for Tijuana with his gun and a Jesus Malverde chain. So I did some research on Jesus Malverde, and he's basically like the Mexican Robin Hood, and he's highly celebrated by drug traffickers. So he's this kind of steal from the rich, give to the poor, but drug traffic. He, but he's also like kind of gangster. So like drug drug dealers and car, and narco guys and drug dealers and traffickers really admire him. Mm. So Chilino at a young age had one of those chains, which is this kind of let you know what kind of life he was living. Okay, he was like a street guy. Which is so fun. Again, Mexican culture is so wild to me. Not wild, but it's just it's just, just it's just different. These are the most dangerous dudes in the world. And at the same time, this is 1977, 78. Dudes, dudes back in, in the States, black dudes that are li- like that culture that I identify with are dressing in funky suits and everything. And they're dressed like straight up cowboys. Yeah. But they're the gang, but they're the gangster. Like they're they got cowboy hats on and tight jeans and belt buckles and shit. And they're like, I got bricks in the car, I got a pocket full of money, I got guns on me. All that gangster shit is the same. It's so there's so many parallels between Mexican narco culture and and gang culture of the 70s and 80s in Black America. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I and I pointed to some of the parallels in my research, but it just really kept like, wow, it's so much like symbiosis happening here in the music. Even though this music, this these corridos sound so different than rap music, it's the same. They're taking the struggle and putting it in the music. Yeah. Also, the cowboy look is their style, though. I think that's where white people got it from. <laughs> oh, oh well, come on! Man. Like, I'm not gonna get into it, but yeah, that, you know, <laughs> he stole you know. The shit out stealing, that. stealing is it happens a lot. Yeah, been a lot of a lot of shit that's cool being nice. now. Listen, since we're talking music, real quick, I find it so interesting that black people invented blues, rock, you know, so many aspects of music, and now if you play a guitar, you're a white boy. Yeah, you see how you see how history will twist shit around for you. <laughs> 
B.B. King and all these guys, Chuck Berry, some of the most amazing guitar players that history has ever seen. And now if I pick up a guitar, it's like, oh, you want some white boy shit. Yeah. That's so, look how our minds are twisted up. So now there's no music programs in, in black schools when black people, saxophones, guitars, piano. Historically, we've seen some of the most amazing artists on these instruments have been black. And now all black people think that you can do is rap. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, 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 noticed, I noticed a while ago where, because um, my, my um, brother-in-law dresses, he dresses like that. And I go like, and I, I think a while ago I brought up to Steph was like, oh, why are you dressed like a, a cowboy? And she was like, that's what she told me. She was like, oh, no, that's not, that's not a cowboy. I mean, it's a cowboy look, but that's not, they didn't get that. That's not a white person, a white people thing. Yeah. <laughs> this, that, they was doing this way before white people started doing it. I go, oh, there's, there's, oh, there's, a, there's, a name for, there's a name for it in my notes, and, yeah, and yeah. I'm sure that okay. it all stems from that. I, I just don't, it'll, it'll come to it naturally in my notes. Yeah, okay. um, but, yeah, there's a name for it. That's not cowboy. But yeah. that is what you think of. Yeah, when exactly. That's the only word I know how to describe it. So, I yeah. Don't know. yeah. So not long after he killed this guy, allegedly, um, Chilino crossed into the United States as an undocumented immigrant worker. He started out in Oregon and later made his way to Los Angeles, where he lived with his aunt in Inglewood, California. Uh, he washed dishes, sold cars, and according to his friends, dealt a little bit of marijuana and cocaina. Uh, during his time in Tijuana, he also worked as a coyote for his older brother, Armando. And a coyote is a person who, uh, is, who guides, uh, who smuggles immigrants across the border, basically. Okay. Um, not basically, that's literally, that's literally what but, they do. They guide well, them over for, yeah. yeah, more or less, for a fee, they, they guide them across their secret way to sneak into the United States, um, illegally. And for a high, for a high fees, to, I'm sorry, like I said, $10,000. Yeah. A head or something. Yep. It's crazy. Um, so they would take immigrants into the United States. That was his brother's business, and he helped him with it. So his brother was the leader of this um, coyote business. Mm-hmm. In 1984, Chilino's brother Armando was murdered in a hotel in Tijuana, inspiring him to compose his first corrido called A Song of Armando Sanchez. Uh, and as I started to talk about before, a corrido is a traditional Mexican song style. The songs are often about oppression, history, daily life for criminals, um, the fa- the vaquero lifestyle. That's what it is, a vaquero, which is kind of like a super badass cowboy, um, but that's their version of it. A vaquero, the belt buckles, the, che- the 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 Levi jeans, the plaid shirt, the cowboy hat, cattle herding, and yeah. f- just like farm life basically. Yeah. But also, I got the I got the I got the gun on me. If you come on my land, I might have to deal with you. Like it's it's, it's also I drink I drink every day. I'm a yeah. badass. Like cowboy. it's like yeah, but like. Yes, because, like, in my mind, I go, it's one thing to be a cowboy, but it's another thing to be, like, Yellowstone. Like, I'm also kind of gangster, because Yellowstone's not just, like, um, well, cowboys we, were milk, right? we milk, huh? Cowboys were gangsters, though, in a way. But I'm saying, in my mind, so, but, like, there's a difference between, I don't know, Old McDonald and the guys from Yellowstone. Okay. Like, Old McDonald's, like, a guy, like, I have cows, I milk them, and I sell the milk. That's not what I mean by cowboy. That sounds like a farmer to me. Okay, fair. I'm I'm blending I'm blending farmer and cowboy. Yeah. But in my mind, a vaquero is like a cowboy, a farmer, and a gangster all rolled into one. Okay. And I guess that in America is just a cowboy. It's just a cowboy, yeah. Yeah, like I fuck people up, I fight, I get drunk, yeah. I can ride a, a, a horse, horse and a bull. Yeah, got my spurs on. That's what I know as cowboy. Okay, fair. Then a vaquero is very similar to like whatever the most rugged, badass version of a cowboy is. That's what a vaquero is. Well, that's what they they take the word and they. That's what we Americans do. We just take that and we kind of just split it in half. And now we made one thing that's that means vaquero. That means all of it. We just split it into two. Like, well, this is a farmer uh-huh. who 
doesn't indulge I'm in the, having I'm the a clean, gun. I'm a clean cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm just, clean cut and yeah, I'm badass. Exactly. Yeah. The vaqueros like I'm all of it. I'll milk a cow. I'll break your kneecap for coming onto my land. I'll put a fence up. Like I'll do all of that. So yeah, so um, they talk about all those things and other socially relevant topics, like you know, that are happening in society. So it is this very political music. But again, it's so crazy to not. I don't want to be insulting because I love the music, but it's so upbeat to me that it's wild that there's all these political messages in it. But I guess when you say yeah, he's the Mexican he, Tupac, Tupac has a lot of upbeat songs that he's saying real shit in. Okay, when you say up, uh, when you when you're saying upbeat song and you're. I guess because I just like instrumentation, like hearing. Uh, right, it almost you, sounds like mariachi, mariachi music to me. But I mean, like if, but you don't speak the language. You you're not fluent in the language. Of course, of so, course. I mean, so that's, you, that's the barrier. Yeah. So yeah. when you hear, it, but you keep saying that, oh, it's, I'm surprised that it sounds this way. It's like, well, you don't, you can't understand the lyrics. So how would you? What do you mean you're surprised that it, it's 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 upbeat? I get what you're saying though, but like somebody somebody who is fluent in Spanish hearing and go like, oh, I, this this music does fit the lyrics. Yes. Because they hear it all the time. Yes. But for you, you go like, oh, I'm, I'm like, damn, that's what he said? Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, the I'm beat, like, the beat I, don't what, match. Yeah, what yeah, I'm doing it, yeah. to the beat, what I'm doing to the beat, when somebody tells me what's being said, you yeah. go, you damn, what is like, I shouldn't be dancing to this. I shouldn't be like, I, I should be listening. That's how I feel. For, I get, I get it. I but get, it's I because it. of my, I'm like, if 21 Savage was saying I this, I wouldn't be dancing to this. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But again, that's culture, that's music. Like, the way it's being said is just, it's just different. So, based on the lyrics of the song, that uh, that he wrote for his brother. His brother was shot seven times and killed during a late night at a hotel in Tijuana. Mm. And and also the the song is like such a beautiful. Tr- it's almost like um I'll be missing you when P Diddy did that song for for uh, I don't know if we can we talk about him anymore. Anyway, uh Biggie Smalls <laughs> the the missing you song for Biggie Smalls where it's like I miss you man and you're the you're the coolest dude around and nobody can do it like you did it like it's very much like that. Yeah. And um. The song gained Chilino a lot of notoriety as a pioneer in the narco corridos lane. So there's corridos, which are about the things that I talked about, and then narco corridos are like okay. stories about drugs and gangsters and narcos and Pablo Escobar and other Mexican drug cartel leaders, like stories about them specifically. Mm-hmm. So almost like gangster rap. Yeah. You know? Um, and this is where the Mexican Tupac comparison comes from. You see, Chilino was making songs about life in Sinaloa, which at the time, where him growing up, like by the time he was in his early 20s, Sinaloa was notorious for being one of the biggest drug, the Sinaloa cartel, El Chapo and the, the, the Sinaloa faction. Like this was, they were the most dangerous cartel in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And that's where he's from. It's like being like, I'm from Chirac. Yeah. He was from there. It's like, of course I have stories about the gangsters and, and, and all, Al Capone and all. Like, of course I'm telling stories about the things I see. And what I see is absolute madness because there's a drug war happening on the streets that I went to school in. Yeah. So this, like I said, the Sinaloa cartel, El Chapo, all the, these are the stories of his home of his hometown. And so some say he glorified the narco lifestyle, and others call him an artist that was painting vivid pictures of the life that he saw, where people that look like him came from. And that's the argument that you would make about a rapper too. Young Thug is in court right now, fighting because the argument is: is he rapping about things that he did, or is he a, a rapper from Atlanta who's just telling stories about things that people in Atlanta who have lived a dangerous life would do? Should should rap lyrics be used against a rapper? Because aren't they just being creative? And I would argue, in some instances, sure. But in other instances, it's like if you say you shot somebody's mom and then their mom got shot, I don't know how you argue that that's just art. Yeah. You know, so that's a that's a fine line. But we're not talking about Chilino was never brought up in a Rico case about his lyrics. But his lyrics are about the things that are happening in his hometown. Yeah. 
for me, one of the hardest lines from his song about his brother is where Chilino basically says, Armando Sanchez is dead, so let his enemies know that they can travel safely in these streets now and stop tucking their chains. So that's the last line of the last line of the song is like, Armando Sanchez is dead, and let his enemy know, let his enemies know like they can come outside, which is basically like my brother was the hardest dude around, mm-hmm. and now all his little enemies can they can sleep peacefully now because the 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 boogeyman's gone. Yeah. Which is which is just basically saying like my brother was like that. Right. And all of y'all are bitches and y'all can come outside now. Which I think is just it's something so hard. And then again, when you hear it in the song, it's like bum 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 Armando Sanchez and dum bum bum bum. You're like, this shit is it's so upbeat, but yeah. he's like, he's like sending his brother off. Yeah, like, yeah, it, man, yeah. my brother was the hardest dude out, man, and he's gone now, so y'all are lucky. Y'all can now come outside and be the bitches that you are. Yeah. And the idea, and I know I'm using like rap imagery to say that, but like that's that's the kind of music he was making. Like, that's the kind of shit he's talking in his music. Like, yo, I got the gun on me. I, you know, nobody's fucking with this guy. He was the hardest dude in Sinaloa. Like, he, nobody could touch him. He's got eight bodies. This is the kind of shit he was saying. It's so funny because the translation in English sounds terrible. Like, it sounds like... <laughs> no, it's, it's, no, it's no vibes. Yeah. I, watched the, I watched the TikTok of a Bad Bunny song. I'm like, damn, this shit kind of... It didn't... I would still fuck with it, but he's like, I got more money than anybody has money. Yeah. The money's the most it money. I, look, oh, look, a duck. Oh, I got more money. I fly like a duck. That's why I saw the duck. You're like, I, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> like, this shit doesn't sound as fly when it's in English. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, around this time where his brother died and he made this song, Chilino was actually arrested. Uh, his slight fame carried him favor amongst the narcos in prison. They would sit him down and tell him stories about their drug escapades. This is where he got a lot of his content from. Mm. And they also would request for him to write beautiful love ballads for their women and girlfriends on the outside. Nice hustle right there. Yeah, it's like, yeah, man. He's like, can you write my girl something beautiful? And he's like, yeah, man, I'll write you. Yeah, I got you. And they, they they, they were narcos. So they would pay him in watches, guns. Like, they would give him guns. I don't think in jail. I think oh, they were like, I, no, I think they would like be like, this is a gun. I'm going to get it to you. I'll give it to you on the outside. Mm. But also then when he got out, he now made all these friends. And now he's, he's being introduced to the cartel members that aren't in jail. Because the cartel members that are in jail are like, yo, this is, this is Chilino. He's about to make that hard shit. Look out for him. Yeah. So he's being paid in guns and watches and cash too. But like maybe get a little bit of drugs. Like, hey, you like the party? Here's a little bit of, here's a little bit of coke. Go have a good time. He was very much like, I don't know. I heard the same shit about Frank Sinatra. I heard Frank Sinatra was like tied in with the mob. It's like, yeah, I'm a sing, yeah. I'm a singer and everything, but like when I go to New York, I'm good. Yeah. So it really is interesting that like, mm. yeah, Chilino, Chilino Sanchez was like that. Like he was he was plugged in. They were fucking with his music, but they also he was kind of hard. Yeah, I mean, you walk around with a different not even kind of hard. He was legit hard. He was getting in fights. He, um, I, I'll get into it, but Chilino Sanchez was like about that. I mean, you walk around with a different different confidence when you got like people behind your corner like that. Like, God, of course, like, don't don't fuck with me. Like you can't. Yeah, don't do that. Don't let the cowboy hat and, and the little tight jeans. Yeah. Don't let it fool well, you. Good singing voice fool you. Actually, it won't fool you because that's what all the gangsters look like in Mexico. Yeah. That's the crazy part. Like I, you got to think about it. Like his his costume that he had on is like the costume of a rapper in the nineties. Like the baggy. He was dressed like he was dressed like Fifty Cent in a room full of Fifty Cents. Mm-hmm. You know, like so in my mind, like you said, when you talk about the. The, the lifestyle, in my mind, I'm like, they all look like cowboys, but not like, no, nah, this is the hardest shit to have on. Yeah. This is the look of somebody that will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's the thing that I'm kind of, why I need to keep making parallels to rap, because I'm like, no, no, he didn't look, in my mind, I'm like, if I see a dude wearing a, a tucked in shirt and some, some jeans and a cowboy hat, I wouldn't be like, oh shit, we got to get up out of here. But if I seen a dude dressed like the Wu-Tang, if I saw eight Wu-Tang Clan members coming up to me in 96, I might think shit is about to get real. Right. <laughs> but that's how you should be looking at it. Yeah. 
And as I've stated a couple of times now, the parallels between gangster rap and narco corrido music is so interesting to me because like a rapper from a neighborhood, they can be used by prominent figures in the streets to prop them up into stardom in exchange for protection and a certain image that they get to portray, which solidifies them in the music. Mm -hmm. But it's all, this also comes as a price. One of the most negative examples that we saw of this was with uh, Takashi 69 So Takashi 69 was just a dude, but he met some bloods, and then the bloods were like, we'll protect you as you wear a red bandana and scream blood and talk about how gangster you are, and us being around you will make that more believable. Mm. So when suburban kids see you be gangster, it's believable because we're around you. Right. And in exchange for that, you pay us, you put guns in our pockets, you make sure that we can go wherever we want to go to. It's symbiotic. You get to have a career because of the look that you get to portray, and you get to portray the look because we protect you. Yeah. And okay. so I'm not, I'm not, now he was a fraud. Now I'm not saying Chilino was a fraud, but what I'm saying is Chilino's rat, if Chilino's going, yo, El Chapo's the hardest cartel member in Mexico and y'all better not fuck with him. He'll put your head on a stake. Then of course El Chapo's going to be like, oh, y'all making my, y'all making my name. This I love when this song comes on in the club. Right. You're cool with me, but whoever El Chapo's enemy is, he doesn't want to hear that song when he's in the club. Right. You know, this is very much. Again, I, I know we're going to lose some people, but I just want people to do research because all this shit is so interesting, interesting to me. The, 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 the Tuca packs and all the Chicago slang that people, these are real people. And these are rappers. These rappers from Chicago, all they do is go and rap about other people that people from their neighborhood kill from the other neighborhood. And those songs become hit songs. And then it's like because that song's a hit song, the people from the other neighborhood take it as a slight because you're talking about how my friend was murdered. Right. And now they want to kill somebody from your neighborhood and then make a song about how they killed your friend. Mm -hmm. And now people are being killed and whoever side, now people have to take sides because it's not just music. The music is killing people. And that's what was happening with this, with these narco corridos. It's like, you're singing about how this guy from this cartel is, he's the most powerful and he is like a, he's like a shadowy figure and nobody can touch him. He's like a ghost and he kill you. He'll kill you in your sleep. And it's like, okay, well, if you're going to prop up this guy, then when I see you, you're an enemy. Exactly. Cause you're using your music and your platform to boost up a guy that's an enemy of mine. And then in turn, that guy likes you, so of course he's putting some money in your pocket. Mm, yeah. Because it's like, yeah, man, keep making, keep making hit songs about me. Yeah, so you're kind of making allies and, and having made enemies all at the same time. Exactly. But, I, but it's like, all right, well, if, it, if I'm wearing my options, I'm like, ah, I don't know, I'd rather be on El Chapo's side than the... Sure. It's, but it's, you still got to go out here and game. go to these shows. It's a risky, you, it's a risky <laughs> game, but I mean, like, ah. Uh, I'd rather be on the side of the biggest cartel. Right. Member. I mean, he's the strongest, so why not? If he's going to, like, put bodyguards behind me and shit like that, man. Yeah. I'll be but this, but see, again, and I, if this is getting tangent, I apologize to people, but it's, I don't feel like, it's just a really interesting conversation. I think that Chilino Sanchez was really authentic in what he was doing. I don't think he was like, I'm going to try to be a, a thing so these cartels will like me. He was just singing about the life that he knew. Right. But but my whole point about the music industry is sometimes somebody like a Takashi Six Nine will choose to go that way because they see that it can be successful, and then put on the costume and then just do it to appease that audience and find success. His music was like, "This is what I know. And this is what I've seen. This is what I lived." And mm-hmm. then it becomes a hit, and I was like, "Oh, this is what he's a whatever category that music is. This is what he does now." I don't think he. That's what he came out to be when he first started. He's making music no. that he just personal life experiences and then he kind of got connected with some wrong people and then kind of doing this and people started following behind and being connected Agreed. to him and now he's he's a cartel singer now just for an example. Yeah, I don't necessarily know I don't necessarily know that his goal was to be right, plugged exactly, in with the cartel. Exactly. Yeah. 
I don't think I don't. But now miss, it looks I'm that not, way for us. I mean, like now it looks that way because like now we now we he goes to prison. He's exactly. making songs from it. But that's just the way it, it could just be the way. That's the way his life was panning out because that's the life. He, his brother was a coyote business guy. He was selling a little bit of wheat. He was a guy from the street. Yeah. He was really from it. Yeah. That's the thing. I that's what I that's what I'm trying to say is like he was really from it. So. I don't. There's no fraudulence in Chilino Sanchez. That's what made him so popular, because it's like this is really like a narco guy, who makes music. Chilino's connections eventually led him to representation, like like agents and stuff, and studio time, and he began recording his music to distribute. Mm. In 1989, Chilino recorded his first cassette of 15 songs while selling his cassettes out of the trunk of his car. Chilino was also stocking tapes at local swap meets bakeries, and various other business across South Central Los Angeles. Both L.A. and California overall were experiencing much of what Chilino's narco-corrido music was about as the cartel wars were affecting the U.S. in many ways, including the fact that cartel violence was, was a direct correlation to gang violence. So the cartel wars were because they were selling drugs, and they were selling drugs to the United States, and the United States was breaking those drugs down and putting them into the inner-city communities. Mm-hmm. And those inner-city communities were now having their own drug wars because they were over territory where they can sell the drugs. So the the drug war in Mexico directly led to incidences of violence all over the West Coast in the United States, which was a direct correlation from the cartel uh, crime. So th- what was going on with the cartels mattered here too. Chilino's narco corridos were about the cartels. Chilino Sanchez was kind of at this perfect place and time in history to where he, he was almost like Forrest Gump. Like he killed a guy who raped his sister. He was a coyote. He dealt uh, marijuana and uh, cocaine, and then he becomes a, he becomes a singer. And all of this stuff, the the cartel wars and and, and illegal immigration. He's like, I had a hand in all of this. Yeah. I saw all of this stuff firsthand. I know what it's like to be a coyote bringing people across the border. I know what it's like to be a cartel member and uh, being a narco and having a, a a war. I can I can speak all this stuff firsthand, and I can really live it. And it's again. It's that it's it's the thug life of it all when you talk about the comparisons between him and Tupac. One thing about Tupac was he was a handsome guy and everything, but one thing nobody could say about Tupac is like you didn't really feel him when you saw him talk. When he said the ghetto is like this and it's like that and thug life across the stomach, you believed him. You're like, no, you really you really lived in the ghetto. Yeah. You really know you're not just saying it to say it. Right. You really lived it. And that was one of that was probably Chilino Sanchez's biggest superpower. Is that the people who listened to his music were like, I know you know what you're saying. So Chilino's realness was coming with a lot of perks and notoriety, but he was still living a dangerous life telling these stories and being a man not afraid to defend himself as well. So he, he was not only, te- you know, singing dangerous music, but he was also like, if he was at a bar and you tried him, he would fuck you up. He might even pull a gun on you. He <laughs> always, he would always carry a gun on him. So again, I, I'm not trying to. He had no damn choice. Yeah. When you, when you in that, when, now when you in that, that circle, I mean, like, you play a dangerous game. Yeah. So, but people knew that he wasn't like just somebody to come steal on. Like he, you know, he really was an active guy. Like he, he, he was not just a singer. I think a couple of weeks ago you talked about like you just found out that like MC Hammer was a gangster or something like that. Yeah. But if you listen to Hammer Time, you'd be like, I could probably rob this guy for his gold toilet. Like I'll go, I'll go rob it's this guy. Toilet, yeah. And you'd be sorely mistaken because you see the hammer pants and the the the, the cool haircut or whatever, yeah. and and it's like, no, you're I'm really I'm really plugged in. Right. And that's, I think, that, you know, Chilino Sanchez, you see him, he's like a handsome guy, he's singing and everything, I, and I think people might have thought I could try him. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you, you're very wrong if you think that. Mm-hmm. And he would have to show people sometimes. So, like I said, it came with a lot of perks being the guy that, you know, is the, you know, sings cartel music or whatever and sings about gangster shit and, and then the gangsters love you. But it comes with a lot of bad stuff, too. 
And he was even involved in a couple of on-stage shootouts. On stage? During one, on stage, no. during one of which a bullet from his gun killed one of his own bandmates. Damn. And on top of everything I just said, one of his own siblings described him as a violent person. Described Chilino as a violent person? As Chilino as a violent person, yeah. So he was like, he just... Was he violent? Was he violent though? Or he was just like, I need to protect myself. Well, yeah, was he just was he violent or was he reactionary? Yeah. You know, was they did they did they try him first and he finished it? I don't know. I don't I, I don't know Chilino, so I can't take sides, but I'm just saying there's a side there's two sides to every story, right? So over the next couple of years, Chilino's fame and popularity grew not only amongst drug smugglers and narcos, but his music also appealed to legions of Southern California teens who were not from narco culture but found themselves enthralled by his stories of gunfights, betrayals, and vendettas. But as his fame rose, so did the tension from people who didn't like some of the subjects of his music. And this is, again, the parallels that I see. It's like, you know who goes to concerts, rap concerts more than anybody in the country? White teens. Really? So it's like, they don't, they don't know anything about what the hell Lil Durk's talking about, but they're obsessed with yeah. it. You know, and he found this audience of kids who are like, I'm not a narco, but like, I love this shit. This shit is so crazy. He's like... This guy stabbed this guy and then took his girlfriend and then they came back with 30 guys and killed. This is what this guy, this is what Chilino's music yeah, is like. That's how me, that is for me in, in Chicago drill music. Where like, oh, I'm, I'm very invested, invested in the, in, the, and, the soap and, opera of yeah, it. Yeah, because like, it's like a, it's like a story. It's like a TV show, but through music and it's like a back and forth. And then you got people who, you got artists or rappers who are not known globally, but are known in. In that city or town, where it's just like, oh, mm -hmm. have you heard a song of this person? Like, I don't even know who that person is, but like, he well, he, he killed he, he killed, killed this guy, the guy that you know, his his brother. And you go like, oh shit, and then it gets super deep, and it's like they just it's just a back and forth, and it, it is entertaining. Though. It's it's real life, but it's like it's entertaining when and they and sometimes they get mad when they go like, you know, y'all kind of are like trying to pick a side. When you're not even from here, but it's like, well, I mean, y'all putting the music out. How do you expect not people to get invested and kind of like mm -hmm. want to choose sides? You yeah. can't get upset with people who, because like you're not putting this music out just to this the other neighborhood or this the other gang. Like you want people to listen to it as well. Yeah. If I'm if I'm crazy or if I'm weird for for being so obsessed with this, I apologize. But I'm just saying, like, when I think of rap music and then I listen to this music, it sounds so different, but it's so similar in what. Its purposes, what its message is, what it does to the people. It has so many similarities, but I'm just, I'm fascinated by it because it's like different route, same result. Right. It right. still get the people who know what he's saying get the same route up. This is the song they put on when they want to do gangster shit. Like there's narco dudes who are like, I caught my wife in bed with another man. I'm going to go kill him and yeah. I'm going to put on this Chilino Sanchez song. Yeah. So on January 25th, 1992, Chilino was performing at the Plaza Los Arcos restaurant and nightclub in the desert city of Coachella. Ever heard of it? Uh, it's about 120 miles east of Los Angeles and full of influencers today. Maybe not in 1992. Eduardo Gallegos was broke, addicted to heroin, and losing his marriage when he invited himself on stage and requested El Gallo de Sinaloa. He, he, came on, he, he forced himself on stage and requested a song from Chilino. Gallegos then whipped out a gun and pointed it at Chilino's chest and pulled the trigger four times. Chilino drew his own gun and fired back, but his gun jammed after one shot, and then he threw the gun at Gallego's face. So the other, guy, the other guy's gun jammed too? No, that guy, he shot four. It was really quick, but he shot four times. Chilino pulled his gun, shot once, then the gun jammed, then he threw it, then he got off stage. 
uh, they tackle this drunk uh, guy and and, and uh, get him down. But already gunshots went everywhere and everything. It was it was absolute chaos. A young man who was dancing with his wife was fatally wounded in uh, in the crossfire. Mm. Uh, he left behind a child, by the way, the guy that was killed. So that's very unfortunate. He died and he left behind a child. Sorry. And a wife. Um, six other people were wounded but survived. One of those people being uh, Eduardo Gallegos, who was dragged off the stage and then shot in the mouth with his own gun. Jeez. Yeah, because, I mean, his, you know, his crew, his posse got to him. You know, like uh, Chilino shot at him his, on his own, but then he got out of there once, once his goons got, they, that's what they're supposed to do. You know, his entourage did what they were supposed to do. They got the gun out of the guy's hand, got him off the stage, and they shot him in the mouth. Mm. Now, the guy survived. Wow. He, he survived, as well as, as well as Chilino. They both survived. But this guy survived, and he, was, he was ended up being taken to the hospital, and then he was arrested after he was treated, and he ended up ser- serving 20 years of life in prison. Damn. The guy that was shot in the mouth. The guy that was shot in the mouth, who also shot, who came on the stage drunk and shot, shot Chilino. Mm. But Chilino survived as well, like I said. So after he survived this night at the Plaza Los Arcos, this story made him known as the man who did not just sing about gunfights, but won them as well. So this, to me, again, I have to keep making these comparisons to hip-hop, but this to me was the equivalent of when everybody found out that 50 Cent got shot nine times. Whereas like this news, it, it, it was great for his career. He sold more records. He started um, getting more radio play. One of his songs got popular on the radio uh, locally in, in California, mm-hmm. and he was getting booked more. And for more money. Mm. So I remember like, I don't, I remember not knowing who 50 Cent was. And then all of a sudden everybody knew who 50 Cent was. Yeah. Like yeah. this guy's immortal. Like he got shot nine times. He didn't die. He's, he's fucking ripped. He's always wearing a bulletproof vest. This guy's hard. It was that same kind of like mystique and, and mythology and, and folklore around Chilino after this night. One of his uh, music producers said before this incident happened, when he put his album out, they pressed about 300 copies, which he sold out of his car and mm. everything. Yeah. And, uh, and, oh, uh, I thought you were about to say he sold out. Oh, sold out of his car. Okay, gotcha. He, he sold it out of his car and at swap meets and at bakeries and stuff. After this event happened, they had to press 31,000 uh, tapes. Damn. So it's like... Demand, huh? Yeah, once, once that's the thing. That's, again, the parallels I keep saying. I'm like, in today's music, especially like rap music, that you when you talk about that shit... It's almost like you don't have to be that good of a rapper, but if people believe that you really do the shit that you do, it it makes you more popular. Yeah. Like, I mean, I hate to, I don't mean to glorify him, but that King Vaughn is a rapper from Chicago. When people found out that they they're like, oh, you really shot people. Oh, we love your music then. Like, you yeah. really do this shit that you're saying in your songs. That's so sad, but that's the truth. Authenticity wins. Now, I think it's something cool about being authentic, and you're like Lil Dicky. Lil Dicky's authentic too. Authenticity doesn't always mean dangerous, but when you when people really believe that you are who you say you are, it helps your music. Sure. So after enjoying a few months of this fame in the U.S., Sanchez returned to his hometown of Sinaloa to do a show. During his set, it is believed that Chilino was handed what is suspected to be a death threat. At first glance, I'm sure no one thought anything of it in the audience, you know, because this is a normal thing that would happen. Uh, people would pass notes to the stage to request songs or ask if you can shout somebody out mm-hmm. or something like that. Like receiving notes from the audience was not a crazy thing. Yeah. But if you watch the video, the famous vid- video. Yeah. Yes. This video, which is how, how we, how I, how I found out about Chilino. I think you might've sent it to me as well. Um, his energy becomes visibly different after he reads the note. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has not been, pr- it's, it's not fact that that note said, like nobody knows what the note said. This is kind of like a myth that that note, but this is the, 
I'll get into it. But it's my point is that's not like a fact. It's not like the note is hanging up somewhere in a museum where it says we're going to kill you after the show. But that's what people believe it said. And I have a hard time refuting that because if you watch the video, his energy definitely shifts after he reads the note. Yeah. But it could just say you suck. I I think if you don't, I still think if you see the video and don't know the background, the context of it, you you would go like, Maybe not to the extent that it was like, oh, you're going to yeah, die. Maybe, maybe he just found out maybe, his mom died or something. Like something, 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 something was bad. Something went wrong that worried him. You can see it. On, you can visibly see it on his face. There was like, bad news on the note. I yeah, feel. Yeah, you can, I think that's like not up for debate. Right. Where you can see his face and you go like, oh, see, that note. Whatever was in that note. He didn't like he it. He didn't like it, and it and he's nervous or whatever, you know. But I don't think if if you didn't like, obviously we know what happened. But like, if you don't know the context around that video, you go like. Whatever was on that note wasn't good. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever he just read, it affected him. And that's, that's a fact. So whether or not the myth of um, Chilino reading a very credible death threat and then finishing his set in defiance is true or not, that's up for debate. But what is true is that the morning after Chilino Sanchez's homecoming concert, he was found lying dead on the side of the road with two bullets in the back of his head. Mm. He was blindfolded and his wrists were red and had roped, rope marks. So like they tied him up, killed him, and then untied him, but he still had the rope marks on his wrists. Uh, after midnight, Chilino drove away from the club with, with his two brothers and a cousin and several young women, you know, some, you know, some, uh, some groupies. Um, they were pulled over by a group of armed men in black Chevrolet sh- Suburbans. They showed state police ID cards and told Chilino that their commander wanted to see him. Chilino agreed and got into one of their cars while the others stayed behind. Mm. The cars drove away, and Chilino was never seen again. Until the, until the following morning, he was found dead. Chilino Sanchez's murder has never been solved, and theories behind what may have led to his assassination are infinite, including one theory that says that Eduardo Gallegos was possibly uh, a failed hit attempt and that he was hired by somebody to kill, Ed, to kill uh, Chilino that night but failed. Um, but this is hard to substantiate yeah. because Eduardo Gallegos was released from prison in 2022 and then disappeared back to Me- Mexico, never to be seen, never to be seen again for interview. But he's from Sinaloa. Right. I mean, I'm saying Eduardo Gallegos is from Sinaloa. Okay. So they're both like kind of from the same area of Mexico, but there's a whole bunch of other theories about he said something, somebody's name in this song and that pissed off this. Pr- there's all kinds of theories. However, since his death, his fame and his recordings have grown in popularity. Chilino still amasses millions of streams three decades after his death and remains popular with young Hispanic listeners. I mean, if you look him up on YouTube, so many of his videos randomly just have 11 million views. Wow. 10 million Dang. views, 3 million views. I mean, he's an incredibly, he's like a, he's like a legend. He's like a mythological person. Yeah. He's kind of like, he, he has like the allure of Chuck and Norris. When you, die like, your pro- when you pass away in your prom like that, that adds on to the, to what you're yeah. saying too. Like Tupac. Yeah. There's a lot of parallels between him and Tupac. Yeah. Well, being murdered too. Like being murdered. Being but I'm saying being murdered and then living forever through your music and being heralded as this voice of the streets and this real, one of the best ever of all time, even though you you died young and um, you left behind music for people to listen to and so they, you know, can really absorb you decades later. Yeah. You really said Tupac wasn't really bald? Like what, like he had a bald cap? Like, no, I mean, no, I mean like. Like he was, shaved his he head? He shaved it for the look. I can believe that. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure he, I don't think he had some kind of, like, I don't think he had alopecia. Yeah. Wait, no, I'll take that back because I think Jada Pinkett said that, like, last month. Yeah. I wish she'd leave him alone. 
Just let it go. I think Jada Pinkett, like, three months ago was like, yeah, Tupac had alopecia too. Like, bro, that's not for you to tell. If that's true, he didn't want people to know that. He let it Anyway. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, with- <laughs> anyway, whether you think Chilino was simply a poet telling stories or an outlaw who was living and glorifying the things that he sang about, one thing is undeniable. He was a brave artist who wrote and performed his songs without letting fear or of the consequences hold him back. His name lives on in the generations of musicians that have followed him, the murals of his face that have plastered walls all around Mexico, California, and other parts of the world, and, of course, through his family. Uh, again, I, I was so just, this was such an interesting story to, to, um, to me. The story of Chilino Sanchez is, um, I, I found my own parallels that made it more interesting, but obviously just on its face, a guy being the voice of Mexico in his town in the 80s, mm-hmm during the craziest drug wars and cartel wars you've ever seen in your life, which still persists today. That's what I mean. A lot of this stuff is still happening today. Like I said, when we first started the show, Peso Pluma, if you look him up, he faces a lot of these kind of things, the death threats from cartels. and Really? Cause his, yeah, because his music, again, I like Peso Pluma, but I don't know what the hell he's saying either. Yeah. That shit is just hard. But if I pulled up the lyrics, I'm sure it's like he's saying people's names that he shouldn't be saying. He's talking about events that he shouldn't be talking about. And so it's not safe for him to just move around Mexico freely because people are like, yo, you shouldn't be talking about the shit that you're talking about. Yeah. So this kind of stuff is still happening. And so, you know, the more the more things change, the more things stay the same. And this guy was a pioneer. Chalino Sanchez was an absolute pioneer. So the story was so fascinating. But when I started to look into it more and see the parallels between this and rap music and what the music means to the people of Mexico, what what um what corridos mean and narco corridos mean. I was like, wow, this shit is this shit is powerful music. It's not just I don't know. I, when I hear this kind of music, I picture people dancing. And maybe they're dancing the pain away. I'd never looked at it that way. I, I always think of sad music as sad music and tough music as tough music. And I'm like, this shit is all of it. It's all it's sad music and it's tough music and it's fun music. And when somebody dies, you play this music and it's a celebration, but it also might be firing you up to get revenge or firing you up to get through the pain. It's, 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 more, it's more than what I hear at, you know, at face value for me. That's dangerous. That's how, that's how it was when I heard it, when uh, Get Rich Die Trying came out. You couldn't <laughs> tell me, you couldn't tell me I couldn't beat anybody in a fight when... Listen to Mini Man? No, you couldn't. There's, oh, no, way. Man. There's no way. But this, again, great example, right? <laughs> Chilino Sanchez music is like many men. Yeah. People hear this shit and they're like, yeah, man, fucking right. Fuck that guy. Yeah. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to get revenge. And that's just like, it just is fascinating to me. And I don't know why. I hope that's not offending anybody. Like, I keep saying that, but I don't know. Because I, I don't want it to sound crazy that I'm so like shocked that this music is, well, is like is gangster music. Yeah, well, it kind of speaks to when people go like, when people try to uh, combat the... the um, the argument of, oh, music is not, it's not, um, it can't influence yes. people to do certain things. It's like, sometimes I, I'm on a, I say I'm in the middle between it because I go like, yeah, it can. But then it's like, all right, well, maybe it, depending on what it is, you can't just blame it on music. If right. You do, uh, if you do like something crazy, something violent. For sure. But then I don't know, some, some, it just, Music hits people a different. That's what. That's what. That's why music is so beautiful to me because it's. It's just it hits people in a different way. That when you hear a song, when you hear that, just do Chilino Sanchez do a song, it may get you riled up. But when I hear, it, I go like, I don't. It don't. It don't hit me the same way. Yeah. So, I can. I can see why you know. Why you say it to you is so fascinating. Why you hear this and you go like, oh, people, the way 
again, you don't speak Spanish fluently. So like when you hear it and you and somebody else that does hear it, they go like, no, this shit gets me. Gets me going. But for you, it's like, oh, this sounds like a dancing song. This sounds like a bop. I mean, it is a bop, but I mean like to you, it's just like I want to get my I want a salsa or something like that. Yeah. So I get it. So yeah, man, that was the story of Chilino Sanchez. Um absolutely incredible story. I think there's a more in-depth podcast, like an eight-part podcast on his life and his death and his legacy. Um, so I encourage people to go listen to that if you want to find out more detail about Chilino Sanchez's life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, absolutely fascinating story to me. I, I really... Uh, if you haven't seen I, it, I, go I, go look the video up because I mean like it's... For sure. When you, when yeah, like, we should maybe maybe post that on Discord or something like that. I might, yeah. I might uh, um, for sure. post it on the Discord sure, or on Instagram you, or something like when that. When you see so that, you go like, when you see it now that you know the story, if anybody didn't know, but then when you see the video, you go like, oh, that that's definitely, obviously it's not factual, but like, that's definitely what that note said. Yeah. When he yes, was like, when he was like, because some of the cast was like, oh, he this he knew this was his last performance. Uh, yeah. And, whether, and again, it's one of those things where it's like, whether or not you believe it, it was. Whether or not you believe he knew it and the note said that, this was his last performance. Yeah. He died after the performance. Yeah. He was taken away and killed. Re- reading this story made me really excited for uh, Griselda, which is on Netflix right now. I've yeah, heard was, great things about it. Yeah, it's got Sofia Vergara from Modern Family in it, and I heard she uh, does amazing. It's out now already? Yeah, it's out now. Okay. It's on Netflix. So I'm definitely going to check that out yeah. this week. Maybe next time we record, we might have to watch yeah. an episode and can talk That's about it. That's another story I looked into, but it's like it wouldn't do any justice if you do that in one episode no it's it's a whole i mean that they're making they made a whole netflix show about it so it's like eight hour long episodes there's so much i mean she was like a woman who was a cartel leader that had never been heard of before but like i said i heard sofia vergara who kind of was typecasted as this um pretty woman who can barely speak english that's kind of her brand and apparently this is like i think she's I'm hearing this is like her Matthew McConaughey moment where Matthew McConaughey was like, he's like a himbo and is in good shape and he does rom-coms. And then he did a movie where you're like, oh shit, like this dude can act. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think this is like her moment. Okay. Where you stop looking at her like, oh, she's pretty yeah. and whatever. And can, you know, she like says words wrong and you go, oh shit. No, she did that. Like that, that's her. I could not see anybody else playing this role. She's amazing. And incredible, and is me all, hearing is that it all out at one time, or how did he do it? Oh yes, it's Netflix. Netflix doesn't; they put them all out. <laughs> yeah, ne- ne- I, and again, I flip flop on that. Even I used to love that. I was like, it feels like real TV again. But then, when you really like something, I'm not trying to wait yeah, till next true. week. That's true. Ah, it does build the suspense, though. I mean, like I do. Love it does, it. and and I liked it for a time. But then, when you when you really find a show that you like, and it comes out, and it's like that, you're like, man, I gotta wait till next Monday. That's true. It's Monday now. Yeah, because you should be binge watching TV. You're an adult. All right, damn. Uh, <laughs> listen, uh, <laughs> I'll just joke. On, <laughs> on that note, um, listen. Um, this is this again, but this episode really set me up to just really dive back into cartel culture and what's going on cartels, in Mexico, yeah. and and yeah. So, and that's it, it aligns perfectly with Griselda. So I'm really excited to go check out Griselda. Um, sometime this week, I won't binge it. I promise, Fran. I'll watch one episode. I'm watching it tonight, so I'm, I didn't even know it was out already. I thought it was I thought it was coming out like February or something like that. No, it's out now. Maybe that's but, you. Um, Maybe that's you that's coming out in February. Maybe that's what I got it mixed up. A new season of you? I think so. Oh damn! I didn't even watch the last season. It really fell off of that show. It did. I didn't watch but, the last season. Yeah. Um. But yeah, man. Listen, before we get out of here, uh, Ravens game is on right now. I'm I'm assuming, Fran. I'm guessing the score is uh 14 nothing Ravens, no. right? Uh, no. it's not. Nope. Seven, Do you want seven to seven, right now? 
And okay, so it's a good game happening right now. And Taylor Swift is in Baltimore, so I guess everybody already knew that. Okay, cool. Well, then it's good to know. So, oh, they already put it on they the screen? Put, he scored a touchdown. Shock. Shock. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> oh, shock. Oh, shocker. Okay, cool. Well, listen, We will, now we will see if my conspiracy comes true by this time. It's Thursday. <laughs> either, either the Chiefs have won and Taylor Swift has made a cryptic announcement on Instagram, or the Ravens have won and we're going to the fucking Super Bowl. We will find out, and uh, I'm really excited to go watch the rest of this game. But um, oh, wrong button! Ah, oh, man, that's really on brand for me. Um, I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans, and we'll see you guys next week. Deuces, go Ravens! Go Ravens!